Good evening, you are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney, joined by 3MA founder, Troy Goodfellow. Hello, everyone. And today we also welcome our old friend, freelance producer, Jen Cotter. Hello. And we also have U.S. Gamer Editor-in-Chief, Cap Bailey. Good to be back on the show. And today we're going to be talking about sports, or the lack of them, and the place that games have unexpectedly found themselves with regard to the sporting world. Uh, Troy, this was something that you wanted to get into because, you know, in part because of the, well, entirely because of the COVID quarantine, uh, sports have sort of been put put on hiatus. And sports games are starting to pop up in some weird places in some weird ways. Yeah, I mean, this was in part uh, provoked by a column that Hannah Kaiser, a baseball writer who I like at Yahoo Games, wrote. Uh, She wrote about how she doesn't care about people's simulated seasons. And uh, this seems to be a lot of what the sports media is uh, these days. And it's been really interesting seeing how not just sports media, but how sports leagues and sports fans have had to cope with the lack of sports in their lives. Now, I'm a big sports fan. This is generally, as far as sports people are concerned, for me, this is the happiest time of the year. It's supposed to be hockey playoffs are going on and baseball season starting. It's it's a golden time uh, for sports generally, but we don't have that. So we're seeing sports simulations uh, and various efforts to copy the sports experience. It gave us the sports coverage we're supposed to be having appearing in very different ways in very different sports. In you know, baseball is doing it one way and uh, hockey players are coping another way. Uh, professional racing has gone off and done its own really wild stuff that is showing things interesting ways. And the NBA has you know, tried to do some semi-official things too. So I think it's interesting seeing how all of these groups are using sports simulations and sports games as either a coping mechanism or just a filler uh, for coverage of the sports experience. And I think it's, as a fan, I'm not quite sure what to make of this. As a sports sim fan, I think it's really cool to watch. But I'm, not quite, I'm still not quite sure what this all means. So that's kind of where I'm coming from with the show. I thought, like, no better people to have on this than uh, Kat Bailey, who's the, the authority on these types of games, and Jan, who's been following the racing stuff and the hockey stuff very, very closely. So I thought this would be a really good chance to bite into sports sims um, in a very unique and special time, I think, for the genre. Yeah, I was um, not like, I wasn't sure that this was ha- like, I didn't totally believe how prevalent this had become uh, until a few days after you talked to me about this, Troy. A friend of mine uh, from my hometown, but he lives in LA now, but he's a major Cubs fan, texted me out of the blue and was like, uh, the Cubs TV network appears to be showing an MLB The Show simulated game. And <laughs> like, I was sort of flabbergasted. And then it turns out that was not a one-off. That was not like a, oh, the game's just been released. What the hell? We'll fill some airtime. Uh, Marquee Sports Network appears to be regularly airing simulated MLB The Show games. Uh, And what I love especially about this, by the way, is they're not even recording. Like, they didn't have any commentators do coverage of the simulated game. They're just going with the canned MLB The Show, uh, like, commentary. (laughs) And so... It's just this, it is literally just what you would have basically running at a, you know, at an old demo unit in a video game store or something. Uh, but, you know, it's it's the Cubs season uh, being simulated game by game in excruciating detail. And then there's recaps. And then for these simulated games, they're running recaps on the website, which is just the funniest way for this entire, uh, this entire marquee sports network debacle to get started if you if you follow chicago sports media the end of the wgn era of the cubs and the start of the sinclair uh backed marquee thing has not been popular and so for them to get that all rolling just as baseball is put on hiatus and for them to just fill it up with mlb the show is just the most like pitch perfect uh way for this entire thing to get rolling God, they're really desperate for content, aren't they? Ridiculous. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I could almost see, 
I could almost see it working if you brought in the 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 regular commentators, right? Like that that I could see being kind of fun, but it is so weird just hearing the procedurally assembled commentary of MLB the sh- MLB the show, uh, you know, being broadcast on on Sinclair. But th- apparently, that's not the only place this is happening. It looks like. Um, some of the SB Nation blogs are running out of the park leagues. I know that the Brewers uh, vertical is doing that as well. I don't know. It's um, I'm I'm trying to figure out. Like you know, as someone who works in media, I'm I'm for anything that lets people stay sort of busy and and keep their jobs safe. But uh, I don't know, Cat. Like even as some as as someone who likes sports sims, does this do anything for you? Does this make any kind of sense? Absolutely not. I mean, <laughs> the reason that I play sports sims is to have some degree of control over my favorite team's destiny or to go through and do various weird kind of scenarios, that kind of thing. It's the interaction that really stands out to me. So just watching somebody else play a simulation of my favorite team really doesn't do anything for me because there's absolutely no stakes. There's no emotional investment whatsoever. And it's also a huge question as to who this is for, because it's certainly not for gamers who are watching games on Twitch and are probably watching it in more of an esports context. And they're watching their favorite streamers, usually playing in a like ultimate team or diamond dynasty and it's not for people who actually like sports who are by and large allergic to all things esports and wouldn't be caught dead watching video games on TV. So it's literally just filler. These huge cable networks are there trying to find something, anything to put on TV. It brings me back to the very earliest days of cable when weirdo programs like Mystery Science Theater would get greenlit for the sheer fact of like we gotta fill hours whatever this will fill hours just put old movies on i don't care yeah in some ways and and maybe that's it maybe this experiment is just too early we haven't seen things get sufficiently weird right like maybe if everyone had gone full john boys with this thing, we'd be in sort of a golden age. Of course, you know that's not every not every uh, beat reporter is going to turn into John Boys when handed a copy of a sports sim or something. Uh, but yeah, right now it is this weird middle ground between taking it way too seriously, uh, but also not really engaging with it seriously. Right? Like it's like it's very sober. But also, there's no real attempt to engage with what makes a sports sim appealing or why people are are into this stuff. Um, I feel like it's been significantly different in the motorsports world, however. Uh, Jeff, have you been following how the racing world has reacted to all this? Well, racing managed to pivot extremely quickly because the the whole ecosystem was already there iRacing already had all of these tracks laser scanned. They've had all of the NASCAR and Indy cars already in the system, already up to spec. And they have this huge back end being able to run these massive leagues worldwide. So it was just very natural for that partnership to be brought to the next level. It's like, okay, well, now we're going to send rigs to everybody's homes and here's your webcam. And now uh, now you're going to race at home. Let's go. And unlike uh, the marquee sports network thing you just mentioned, when they're broadcasting these races, you have the actual commentators. You have tons of camera angles that you have access to immediately. Um, it really streamlines the production because you you know you have your watchers and your spotters, and everybody can still do their same job at home, and nobody gets hurt, which is uh, which has brought out another side into racing yeah. in terms of you still get the people that you want to root for and they can all do really silly things with nobody getting hurt. So you've seen a lot more intentional ramming than say you would in a normal <clears throat> race. Yeah. Uh, I think the, so I think the most recent, uh, and for me, for me, I'm going to say like, I think the, I think IndyCar is probably taken to this the best 
uh, in terms of like production quality, in terms of the drivers being bought in. Uh, I think it helps that it seems like uh, IndyCar in particular, IndyCar and NASCAR, a lot of folks had already bought into iRacing uh, pretty intensely. Um, it seems like it's a more of a younger generation thing in like the F1 world, but up and down uh, American motorsports and people who race there, it seems like these these sims are are really well regarded and are and taken very seriously. Uh, but yeah, like at the most recent IndyCar race, I think there were two there there were sort of two incidents that jumped out at me. Uh, one was that the you know as you said the. Right after the race ended, I think the second place driver kind of raged out and just rammed his car into the winner's uh, into the winner's car, uh, just as kind of a f you uh, sort of a griefing move at the end of the match. Uh, but then a few laps, uh, several laps before that, there had been what would, in reality, have probably been a pretty nasty accident. Um, I, I think there was there's some really close wheel wheel racing and we had a situation where the leaders were going at it, uh fighting for the lead, and then there was somebody, Oliver Askew, I think, was lapped, but he was caught up in the middle of this duel, and because those guys were were duking it out and basically slowing each other down, he thought he had a chance to unlap himself and try to force his way through the middle of this like basically live fight and he botched it really really badly and managed to take out both leaders uh in a really high speed accident and if you followed indycar in the last few years the ovals are getting the ovals have been scary to begin with um but it feels like in the last few years the discourse around them has changed and now there's really massive safety concerns about oval racing uh, in IndyCar. And it's, you know, and Oliver Askew even mentioned after the race is apologizing to the guys whose uh, race he, you know, is, whose race he'd ruined. He said, you know, I'm really glad I learned not to make that mistake in the safety of a sim uh, rather than in a real race. I'm glad, you know, there was, there was no harm to anyone. And I think that's been the the other part of this is that there's some races you can do in iRacing and some ways you can race in iRacing that I'm not sure we're going to see in real motorsports in a few years' time. What do you think, John? I think that's an excellent point. Like uh, for iRacing, they already have the – I keep wanting to call it the halo, but it's not the halo. Like the windscreen? Yeah. Uh, so that is already in the game and you can race with it to see like how your vision changes, how how it well feels is the wrong word, but it's the closest equivalent. And yeah, I, I'd love to see better safety in sports, especially motor race, because I would like to never watch somebody die in a race again. That would be great. Um, but these training tools now being put to the test with these drivers with an actual season on the line, albeit often for charity... Um, I would love to see where motorsports goes from this. Would would this be part of the off season now, where we would see these regular races being integrated into the season? Uh, what happens when you know? Let's let's say that this is not exactly the first and only time that sports will be postponed due to a pandemic. Uh, will we go back to this immediately, the same way racing took to this as fast the first time? How do they keep making this better and more appealing? With the racing, uh, the esports racing being on television as well, this has brought a whole new generation of fans to sim racing, people who never, never watched an actual race. And due to the lack of any other sport and this being on actual television, have come to this and have been on Twitter being like, this is awesome. We should, like, Are they going to do this all the time? I want to see more. A few things that I would add in is I think one of the big differences of motorsports is that First of all, you have players directly controlling the cars, which is a big difference from, say, com controlling a squad of players who are meant to be kind of little avatars of real-life players. Like, there's a disconnect there that you don't have as much in motorsports. Another thing is, I think that when you're watching a game of MLB The Show, the difference between that and a real game of baseball is still quite jarring. Whereas, I think that you can kind of suspend your disbelief 
a fair amount when you're watching motorsports on TV. So I think it's easier for people to just kind of get into it. And then so much of the actual gameplay of your average sports sim does not translate onto screen, like being able to set lineup changes and manage your your roster and everything. Whereas, correct me if I'm wrong, I sort of feel like there's much more of a one-to-one comparison of driving a real car versus driving a a race car. I, I know that there are going to be definitely some people who will take umbrage to that and say, oh, there's more of a technical aspect of it. Or I know that we're like, oh, we don't want to see people die. But there are some people who are really into maybe more of the danger or the excitement of the actual racing. But it seems to me that motorsports translates a lot more readily to an esports or a kind of an online context than something like NBA, even NBA 2K, which <laughs> has tried to get off the ground with a simulated league over the past couple of years. And it's not really taken hold in any meaningful way. Yeah, one-to-one is the exact word I would have used for this. Now, the motorsports purists are not happy with the current state of things. They they feel that this is kind of a joke, and some drivers have treated it like that. But I would absolutely love to see Robert Wickens in a sim as opposed to Mitch Marner playing NHL 20. Like, I'm I'm not as interested in that. That's uh, that's not a season. Is This applies to nothing but the game, which is fine, and it's fun, and he's raising a ton of money for charity. But it doesn't feel like sports to me. And NHL, just watching it, it just, once again, it doesn't, it wouldn't feel right. Even if they were playing uh, the mode, or the, the team mode, in which everybody controls one player, yeah. it, I don't know, like, the way you score where you kind of wrap the puck around uh, the goalie, uh, the puck movement, that kind of thing. It just feels totally different from the real thing. And I think that you would feel that sense of disconnect really strongly trying to watch something like this on TV. I I think something else that I'm picking up from watching like racing sims right now is that with the exception of maybe uh Formula 1 there the licenses aren't on like complete lockdown in the racing world, right? Like one of the things there's people racing i racing which has multiple racing formats uh in it, but then you also have things like uh the one of the other big ones uh there's sort of an i racing versus r factor 2 uh split it seems like in the serious sim community. And r factor 2 is almost like and I'm less familiar with it, so uh I might be butchering this. Uh you know, y'all can correct me. But R Factor Two, from what I know, just what how R Factor has worked, is very much like almost like a, a, a platform for mods, right? Like you just can create content and cars and uh, you know tracks in you know it's very built to be expanded and customized in that way, and that's allowed it to have a really robust and detailed set of uh, niche series that people get really invested in. And I'm not sure the landscape for major North American leagues is as robust or the quality is like there across the board. I think I can't. I think I saw you talking about this on Twitter um, several months ago, but you're sort of making the argument that this console generation has been a disaster for sports sims. That if if you're someone who loves sports games, in some ways the the landscape hasn't really been this grim in in a long time. And I know a lot of that's probably like can be put down to EA specifically and and what they've done with their licenses. But I'm curious if you think that you know if you could expand on that on that argument. But also, do you think it plays a role in what we're seeing in this moment? Well, sure. I mean. It kind of started last generation, right? And I, I think it's all down to the explosion of Ultimate Team, which turned these games into gigantic monetization engines. And it's kind of a damned if you do, damned if you don't kind of situation, because the only way that these games would be able to continue to justify their existence is if they had an Ultimate Team type mode. 
But the flip side of that is that in going so heavily into monetization, it kind of poisoned the well a little bit and changed the way that we engaged with these games and made them a lot less about the sport itself and much more about engaging with them in a games-as-service kind of aspect. And, hey, I've played hundreds of hours of FIFA Ultimate Team, and I generally enjoy it. But I think that, especially in terms of EA skewing so heavily in that direction, it's had a really dramatic effect on the rest of the modes of these sports games. I mean, you just have to look at FIFA in particular in the way that the career mode has laid fallow because they are not willing to invest as many resources in them. They aren't, uh, they're much more willing to go, well, we, as long as we got the gameplay right and we add some new stuff to Ultimate Team, career mode, whatever, those people, we're not, that's not an audience we're trying to grow. Ultimate Team is not an audience we would, we're trying to grow. And look, there are people who work really hard on these career modes. Yes. But I just, you can see the difference in terms of how they have stopped trying to be simulations and have instead become, I don't know, destiny with soccer balls. So as <laughs> in terms of how this affects uh, how people would watch them, I mean, it's much more about, you know, engaging with your favorite kind of streamer, it's run the foot market or any number of these various people and watching them play on Twitch with their... And, and it's not about the real-life teams necessarily. It's much more about these personalities that you're following. And it's completely... It, it doesn't feel like the real-life sport that I would prefer to enjoy. Also, I mean, it... Mm, the, the attempt in general to turn sports sims into esports has been kind of a non-starter it just hasn't been working very well and the more that these games try to pour resources into doing it the more it hasn't worked out and then meanwhile nba 2k again another monetization engine but in a different way it's just it's very 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 frustrating uh to watch what sports sims have become and it's been pretty tiresome to actually cover them these days because Every single year, it's like, well, we fixed this problem and this problem, this problem, this problem that the community was talking about, and we added this, some of this stuff. And no, we're never, we're we're not trying to make a simulation here. I, I think the one exception, funnily enough, is maybe MLB The Show, a game that actually does a really great job of integrating all of this stuff, uh, puts emphasis on Diamond Dynasty, but hasn't completely abandon the simulation aspect and i think the key to that is they treat mlb the show as more of a tribute to the entirety of the sport it's not as cynical an exercise even diamond dynasty is almost like collecting baseball cards more than i don't know getting the 15 billionth iteration of cristiano ronaldo so but uh yeah i, I suppose to tldr it it's been real bad because of monetization and it's kind of changed the way that we watch sports games and it's further away than ever from being able to engage in a, a mass audience outside of its traditional following on the sports platforms. Now, Troy, you're a huge nerd and you don't go <laughs> in for sports games with graphics. Um, so Troy's a nerd. Are you kidding me? Wow, this is news to me. <laughs> a nerd among nerds. Uh, you know, f from my perspective, though, when you know, when you asked, I don't know who this is for. I'm looking at good sports bloggers writing about out of the park seasons, and I'm like, well, this has to be for Troy, right? Like, like I think we we found the dude. We know who that. We know who the audience is. It's Troy. But is it is it for Troy? Is it you? It's not. It's not me because. Um, I see sports simulations as swing. Well, this is a strategy game show. Um, and out of the park baseball is, is a strategy game. Uh, Stratomatic, uh, which is other people are using is too many, a strategy game, but they're not strategy games within a specific game necessarily, a specific match, but from season to season to season. 
and it is about the stories you tell in the simulation. So somebody does a write-up of the Minnesota Twins, and now we've simmed the Minnesota Twins game. Okay, so I'm reading about a game that did not happen, except on your computer. And this is supposed to, I don't have any connection to, well, who is this lineup? Where is this going? What about are all the other team? Are, gonna, are there write-ups on the other teams in this league? No, because the Milwaukee guy is doing his own league. And it's a very different separate league. So I have no idea if the Milwaukee, but if I care about Milwaukee, reading the Minnesota Sim is not going to help me there. Um, and right now, I mean, start of baseball season, I always start playing out of the park baseball again. So I started out of the park baseball again. The new one came out. And I always start with um, the 1980 Expos because I was a kid. I liked the Expos. Um, and I'm playing through that season right now. I think up to like 1990. 192, something like that right now. And I built a powerhouse of a team. Like with the store, I had I had Dwight Gooden, I had Daryl Strawberry, I had Sid Fernandez, I had Tim Raines. I was just cleaning up. But now Wait, is, the, th- is the trade AI broken or did you cheat? So, so, or? So some of them are some of them are free agents. Okay. But the problem is Montreal is still a small market. So I did great, but then all the uh contract extensions came due and I couldn't pay for them all. Uh, so I win the title one year and the next year I'm in the basement. I, I, I can't keep on my free agents. I can't, they all, I can't extend everyone. That is a very interesting story to me. Troy, I got a <laughs> question the, for you. Yes. Are you following this MLB dream bracket presented by DraftKings without all the card picks? Well, I am not. Should I? Uh, so I'm friends with a major person at Out of the Park Baseball, Rich Grissom, who runs a sports pod, uh, a different sports podcast. But he finally convinced MLB to do a giant dream bracket of all of them, these famous teams and famous players and famous lineups and everything, and basically pitting them against one another. So here's one that you would probably like. The 91 Twins versus the 91 Blue Jays in a rematch in the simulation. Can the Blue Jays get revenge on the Twins? That was a really good Twins team. I don't know. (laughs) That was a really good night. That was a really good Blue Jays team. They won two more World Series right after that. The point is, is that it's bringing all these historic teams together. And I think that as a sports fan, you kind of have to go, that's kind of a fun idea. I mean... How how would the twenty seven Yankees fare against the the cheating Astros? Do they put the sign ceiling in the game? Do they account for that? Yeah, I mean, but that's great. But that's the kind of thing that you know the content you can do every year, right? That's not I'm simulating a season to that's to replace a season that's that's going that's missing. Like that's a great idea. I mean, I I used to do that with um, others. Pre out of the park baseball type teams like Earl Weaver had Earl Weaver baseball had you know great decade type teams and they were you have Mickey Mantle you have 60s American League and the 60s National League All Stars and you have all of and you could do that sort of stuff um, in a bunch of teams and it was always a lot of fun and I I like historical matchups like that but and so I, I definitely do need to check that out because that is an interesting thing it is, it is a bracket um, it is a tournament it's not a season so it's not like there are, I'm missing something in a season. So the idea of simming, like, okay, so you have, you have the, you're simulating all of these out of the park baseball games, or, or some hockey teams, or some hockey writers are doing it. But I haven't seen anybody using Franchise Hockey Manager, which I think shows the quality of both Franchise Hockey Manager and the prominence of that game in the mindshare, even though it's from the out of the park uh, people. Out uh, of uh, the park baseball is way ahead of Franchise Hockey so, Manager. So yeah. far ahead. Uh, of where it is, and but they're using other systems, Elo systems or some analytics type stuff. And again, it's well, okay, this is kind of cool. I see the Edmonton Oilers didn't make the playoffs again because they screwed up their last two weeks. What a shocker! But I didn't get to see that pain. I didn't get to suffer through that. And if I don't suffer through Connor McDavid missing the playoffs again, it doesn't feel right. I should be feeling that in my heart right now. And it just, there's a remove to it where, so I think right now over at The Athletic, one of the Twins beat writers is simulating the M- the Twins season in MLB The Show, and they're keeping tabs on the, the record and everything. And I'm just like, yeah, so what? <laughs> I don't care. This isn't real. 
It means literally nothing to me that they're, you know, 62 and 10 right now or whatever. And, and, and the other thing is good sports writing isn't just about the games and the stories as they happen, but what does this tell us about baseball, about this team, about this chemistry, about this uh, rookie? There's this connection to a larger analytical thing. Uh, last year it was, okay, these are, these are a lot of freaking home runs. What's going on here? And talking about the baseball and is this intentional and what's going on? Then you have the whole sign stealing controversy in the off season. There's all this drama going on around the sport that isn't just about oh, I just watched a game and it happened. The game happens in a context. In these in a simulation over seasons, like the one I'm going th- I'm playing through now in out of the park base, or as you could as anyone could, everything is in a context of watching. Oh, but Brooks Robinson didn't make the Hall of Fame. That's weird. Uh, all of these, you know, things that happen. There's a there's a story behind this. We'll understand what happened. Oh, he ended up missing the last three years because he got hurt, and those are big numbers historically, but not in my game. So therefore, they didn't happen. It's an alternate history. I mean, if and I'm then last watching, year, yeah. and then last year, you know, when the, the the Twins were doing very well, like players emerged, like William Astadio, who everybody yep. was calling Tortuga, and you know, uh, there were coming up with merch for it and everything and uh, everybody loved this this plucky catcher and that's stuff that just doesn't translate into a simulated experience like uh, out of the park baseball so i i mean i guess i understand what they want to fill their media inches with their column inches with you know baseball stuff but this doesn't feel like baseball stuff it doesn't no. feel like it it's it's only about baseball in the way that a baseball card is it's even less than a baseball card is about baseball. Cause at least there you've got a good photo. Um, sometimes it just feels so that's like, that's like the bot, like bobbleheads or Funko pops. There we go. It's like Funko pops of sports. It's, here's what, it's here's disposable. My it's cheap and it's easy. Here's my question for you. So MLB, the show was kind of pushing this notion of they got, what was it? How many teams are in baseball these days? Is it 30 or 32? I can never remember. But so they got players from every team, every major league team to represent their team in a kind of bracket um, that they were playing out on Twitch. So the twins had Trevor May playing against whomever. And it was mostly like, it wasn't like any giant stars or whatever. You didn't have Aaron Judge playing as the New York Yankees, but it was kind of fun to watch. Uh, I tuned in because it was kind of fun to watch, you know, Trevor May trying to rep the Twins in a, a big old tournament that would go into a World Series and MMO the show. That fit really well on Twitch. doesn't fit so well on broadcast TV. Yeah, this is one of the few times I am kind of happy the NHL isn't even trying. They're like, yeah, we'll talk about it when we get to start up training camp again. Until then, bye. <laughs> the NHLs might be in trouble, actually. How do you mean? Uh, I was just reading an article over on The Athletic about how they had their players had to forgo a paycheck. And c- compared to a lot of the other leagues, they get a lot more revenue at the gate from merch that are sold in the stadium than actual TV revenue. And so if they have to play in front of empty arenas, they're going to end up uh, taking, feeling the pain a lot more than a lot of other sports. So I imagine that they're thinking of things like survival as much as they're thinking about uh, actual revenue, like actual streaming. I mean, just for context, the NHL might lose literally half its revenue this year. I mean, think about that. We're talking about billions of dollars. That's ridiculous. I think that they have way bigger things on their mind right now than just yeah. streaming. This is um, over at racefans.net. Uh, their business reporter, um, Dieter Rankin, did a piece just trying to analyze. Like, it's you, you have to infer a lot about how F1 teams are doing because, while well, some of the numbers are public from the Formula One level, uh, team budgets are pretty much a black box. You just have to guess what what teams are up to but his uh sort of guesswork about how many of the teams in f1 are in trouble um 
you know, it four, maybe even uh, you know, six teams uh could be in real trouble. There's only ten teams in Formula One. Uh, but they th- they're in a similar situation where they depend on like they need races to be happening uh to get their to get their revenue uh and they don't they they don't really save a lot of money uh between seasons these things sort of uh drink the budget dry and uh you know if they don't hit a certain number of races the season uh where they're going to feel the pinch is they get a lot of tv revenues but it if they don't run a certain number of races, I think that starts getting prorated uh, pretty badly. And so Formula One is in a similar situation where, like, if this continues to go bad, uh, this moves from being, like, in a weird lost season or an inconvenience to being a pretty significant threat to the sport existing in a recognizable fashion uh, in, in the near future. Uh, have you followed any of that, John? Uh, just just how dire it, it might look across motorsports? Well, especially in F1, you have the rule changes every year and different chassis basically going on and all kinds of other advancements. And so far, the teams have agreed, yeah, okay, we're going to push some of those back because like, they're just talking about it for just like, yeah, we'll just push some of those back with the unsaid portion being like oh man we cannot afford the research budget for this right now like this has to wait yeah it's um you know this is going to be the other part of this is the sports world on the other side of this might just look different in general saying nothing of the fact that yeah like living in an empty arena uh limited public gatherings world might be with us for longer than most of us have fully reckoned with um if that if that continues like i do start to wonder if some of these things which are novelties right now in a very experimental phase right now if some of them start developing some kind of weird cottage industry around them right now motorsports is probably the one that you know because of that one-to-one thing uh you know cat cat was talking about i can see it making more sense like i could see them hacking together a pretty decent, um, you know, iRacing series for the better part of a season. I could see that working. And it helps that a lot of, you know, for all that there are purists who might roll their eyes at this stuff, in terms of drivers, the buy-in is pretty high. Uh, A lot of drivers have, like, kind of run to the stuff with open arms, and they use it to for entertainment and also just to keep their skills sharp uh between races between seasons uh so i could i could see it working there but i think to this broader point about all these kind of weird and fizzling experiments i think in some ways we're seeing the sports media world wrestling with some of the problems that esports uh has wrestled with for ages which is what is your narrative here what is your storyline what do people care about uh do they care about the brands clearly not right because if you know if you were that (laughs) i guess if you were that invested in what your sb nation uh team blog was was up to more people would be invested in that but that's that's not really catching anyone's interest but you know, the thing that DraftKings is doing, that does seem to make a certain kind of sense because then what you what, what it sounds like you have there is a really well organized and uh you know well well supported effort to do the out of the park version of um settled bar arguments, which I can see being a format that extends out in the future, right? Like well, who'd win if these two teams met? Uh, shit, like people will do <laughs> will do that whether it's a pandemic on or not. I think with sports game esports, the reason that it doesn't translate is because there's this very narrow cross section of people who would actually watch. I don't know FIFA on Twitch. They're the most engaged yeah. people who are playing on FIFA Ultimate Team, and they follow the personalities, and so they are following those specific personalities to learn how to get tips and they like them and everything. But I know a lot of people who are going to be watching Twitch probably aren't going to necessarily be playing FIFA. 
and a lot of people who might normally be playing FIFA wouldn't necessarily be watching Twitch. So that's kind of the problem that sports games might be having is that they have kind of a, a they have a mass audience, but it's a very specific audience. Uh, there are so many people who only buy the Call of Duty and the FIFA once a year, and they wouldn't be caught dead watching uh, Twitch or that kind of thing. And then if you look at traditional esports, I think that it's it's such a celebrity driven thing if if you don't mind me saying yeah. and you're you're seeing and actually that's to its benefit because you see this happening with soccer and basketball as well where the where the athletes who are the most instagram ready like Paul Pogba and LeBron James they're the ones who are doing the best they're the they're the ones who are standing out and NBA and and soccer can work very well in that context I I don't know what the kids like about sports these days because they don't like the teams anymore. They like the the Instagram models. <laughs> I don't I don't like it. <laughs> I'm I'm trying to think about what the future of this might look like, and I, I'm thinking a little bit about like personality, like to to that point, the, the personality led aspect of uh, media and sports media because I think we've we've seen to an extent this dichotomy play out across a lot of media i think for a, like a number of years like you know in games media uh there there was an increasing move toward emphasizing like personalities and such i think this goes back to games for windows uh you know gfw radio uh and one up kind of starting to you know the games were the draw but also it was about building the cast of characters at the outlet that uh you know w was covering the games and that was one direction some places uh have gone i think espn clearly there's you know been a long running um a long running tension with esp within SP espn to say are we about elevating personalities and centering them as the window through which we look at sports or do we shut up and talk about the games do we focus on the sports themselves they're the characters they're the heroes and your job is just to shed some analytical light on it i think that Wait, but the, so, so, so you're yeah. saying Steve, so you're saying Stephen a smith should be playing nba 2k yes hands down 100 <laughs> percent. oh people would watch that absolutely yeah I mean, that's, 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 it's horrible. Right. Oh my god! Ugh, I wouldn't watch that, but a lot of people would. You'd watch the gifts, though. You'd oh yeah, watch, yeah. You'd watch the clips. You'd be like, "Oh shit, that's <laughs> him reacting to the Knicks doing things, and him like just getting on some rant." The guy could just yammer forever, and he'd be the perfect Twitch person. Yeah, I mean, that's that's yeah that that is his that that is his gift, and. I think that some of what is tripping up some of these efforts to figure out like, well, what do we do with simulated sports during the uh, long off season is you're seeing like a sort of hesitancy to lean into the fact that when you're talking about when you're running simulated leagues, the entire thing requires you're basically running a tabletop RPG at this point and you have to approach it as such you have to you have to create the story and the characters the stats aren't going to do that for you but you're going to have to go in and invent a story out of what the sim is spitting out for you um and i think i like i i do kind of wonder if maybe that is the future of this thing uh, if this becomes a reality that people like that, that more sports media just have to live with, uh, how long before you start seeing the various beat writers running, you know, running their out of the park leagues or something, you know, collectively and writing about them. Chances are that probably still doesn't work, but if you get Stephen, a, the, the Stephen A. Smiths of the world, uh, then maybe that does start to take off. But I think that requires a real that requires basically a very different sort of personality than, than fills a lot of the spots in sports media, and also it's a completely different product than I think what a lot of sports purists are, are sort of dying for right now. I also think that sports meet, uh, sports audiences, and sorry, I'll let you talk in a second. Uh, I, I think they skew older. 
especially yeah. baseball and football. Uh, basketball and soccer have some of the youngest audiences, but even then, you know, they're averaging in their 20s and 30s. And I think people just digest, you know, younger audiences just digest sports differently. And and older audiences just won't watch Twitch for the most part. So I think there's a real question as to be like, okay, in the next 10 years, what are these teenagers and such who are predisposed to enjoying sports? What are they going to be looking for? How are they going to want to kind of integrate with their individual favorite teams and that kind of thing? I, I think one of the problems is that the various leagues are deeply conservative in the way that they approach this stuff. And with maybe the exception of the NBA are kind of allergic to trying anything new in these digital realms. So maybe the first one that kind of figures out how to make all of this work is going to be the one that kind of conquers a new age. I, I would put my money on the NBA in that respect. Sorry. Now go ahead. <laughs> well, I was going to say that uh, racing is kind of doing a motorsport media a favor right now because of all the different things they get to do. Like there are a whole bunch of charity races where, you know, Jensen Button is driving again. I love Jensen Button. I'd love to see what he's up to. And he's really personable on camera. That helps. But on the bigger stage, uh, so Lando Norris, F1 driver, he has been a Twitch streamer long before all this. Um, he's going to take part uh, in Indy's race at Circuit of the Americas. That gives something people to talk about. IndyCar uh, Alexander Rossi is going to go to Supercars in Australia. He's going to be in their uh, E-Series as well. So this gives media tons of fodder to be like, ooh, let's see how people do. Let's let's prognosticate about how these races are going to go. Is he going to make it? Because in real life, like Fernando Alonso used to take time off and go do the Indy. So there is that real world crossover only now people can do it safely from their homes without the massive budget and uh, team background you need for it. Yeah, I think it's it helps a lot that there is this uh, generation of drivers who are really leaning into that stuff. And I do like this is something that this was a change I already kind of expected to happen via sim racing regardless uh, was going to like that it would become a way for people who weren't able to hang with the expense of racing up through the, through the lower rate, lower levels of racing uh, for people to sort of stay relevant in the scene and maybe an opportunity at some point, because like it's been very clear for a while that the pipeline of drivers in formula one you're probably screening out a lot of talent just because the entire thing is so expensive. And some teams do need what they call pay drivers, uh, people who bring family money or sponsorship money into the team to to keep it going. Uh, but there's also a lot of teams who would just be better served by having someone really freaking good uh, behind the wheel. And, you know, there are a lot of young drivers programs that have turned up uh, some duds or turned up uh, or, or just sort of tapped themselves out. And I think even before this started, I kind of expected that we would start to see sim racing as some kind of uh, avenue for, you know, different sources of talent to make their way into the sport. And, you know, now with, some of the sport's most popular uh, characters, uh, like Lando Norris, uh, like Max Verstappen, the the fact that they are sort of lending their credibility to these to these sim racing leagues, uh, I think, is going to do a lot to change how those are perceived. Here's what I'm kind of wondering: I'm wondering if this is an opportunity for motorsports to break into new audiences. Because I think there was a time I was flipping channels or something, and I just randomly came across a Gran Turismo stream, and it was really well produced, and I was actually kind of captured by it. It was really interesting to watch. And with all due respect to you guys, I wouldn't be caught dead watching motorsports. So <laughs> I, I just wonder if there is an opportunity here to break out out of the kind of the gearhead demographic and start to reach people who had never really considered motorsports in the past. Oh, they have been crushing it in that respect. 
what I want to see when motorsport comes back is how many of those people who love what's going on right now because of the, let's say, after action reports and the clips. And there was a race uh, in Australia with a supercar where they flipped the car, another car on track hit it, and that first car helicoptered into space because it's a video game. <laughs> and people are like, okay, I'll watch the next race for that. That was awesome. Those people probably not going to stick around for actual motorsports. But for the people who, you know, got introduced to it through the digital world right now, uh, once they get sucked into the team strategy and when do you pit and why is this guy better than that guy, even if the cars are stock, those people, I think, will stick around for the future. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but it sure seems like F1 has really taken off in a lot of respects. Am, am, I, am I wrong in that? It seems like a lot of my friends like it. <laughs> Uh, F1's really easy to get into uh, in terms of, you know, the colors are really different, but it doesn't all look like, like, oh my God, there's 800 teams who are all these people. It's a small enough grid that you you can get invested in the people with very little legwork. Here's the other question that I have. Are the actual Sims good enough? Because I know that like Gran Turismo historically has been very good. Uh, I know that they're... I don't follow the racing, the super hardcore racing sim community that closely. Like, are are the NASCAR games or the stock car games good enough to be able to support this kind of intense sim racing genre? None I of the licensed ones. Really? Well, because like, so NASCAR is running with iRacing and they have another one going up with their other game, which is NASCAR Heat. I have not played NASCAR Heat, so I don't know what that feels like compared to iRacing. Like, I love Gran Turismo. I'm a huge console fan. Gran Turismo is one of my favorite series. And uh, sim racing purists laugh at it. They think it's a joke. Yeah. <laughs> this is... Uh, yeah, this is the thing. Like, I think iRacing is. I, like, there's a reason a lot of pros run iRacing uh, pretty seriously because it is close enough uh, that you can get some decent relevant training uh done in i racing that you can't get done uh other places the la the fact that the the tracks are laser scanned which actually does make a huge difference in terms of uh you know it's it's a bit like golf in that from that standpoint right like there's like if you look on tv at a golf course a lot of things will look completely flat or featureless and like a fairway is a fairway a green is a green but like actually there physically you know, every every square meter of that golf course probably has its own character that you have to have walked in a million times to to sort of pick up. iRacing provides that fidelity. Um, so but, it's like going from Digital Combat Simulator to I don't know Ace, Ace. Combat. Yes, one hundred percent. And fair enough. It's been like. F1 is trying to run an esports thing uh, via the via virtual uh, Grand Prix. And that is being run through F1 2019. And I mean, you, there, was, uh, there was a Twitch clip uh, last week of Max Verstappen just sort of mocking the game over the phone to Landon Norris saying that it's trash. Um, and, and so I think like it, that's where it gets tricky is that... Uh, the pros are embracing these really hardcore sims uh and and already have but the the weird thing is they're not really embracing a lot of the stuff that uh i might play and i like yeah like gran turismo is on the on the hardcore end of like consumer racing sims very much so especially uh especially the the most recent one which is very much moving in an i racing direction and it's still not good enough for uh serious sim players um and it's even worse for north american or european sports i mean if you look at say the pc gaming landscape i mean fifa and madden are on the pc but i mean come on nobody would confuse them for a hardcore sim Right, there's no equivalent of an i racing for FIFA or NBA, and I think that is a large part of why these games are struggling to capture a hardcore audience because they don't pass the eye test. I think one of the advantages to F1 using F1 2019 is that everyone at home, whether you are playing on console or PC, 
you already have F1 2019. So you can do the more accurate one-to-one of like, oh, these pro drivers did this lap time. Can I beat that on my own? Just because it is more accessible than having to have the iRacing subscription plus the purchasing of the right tracks and the right car to really match that. So that is like the one minor thing that I think is a pro for F1 2019. Also, another thing is when you're well, you're getting back to the one-to-one thing, playing a game like, I don't know, F1 2019, it's almost like playing a flight simulator versus playing with your little action figures or your dolls. I mean, it's just not a, it's just not the same. It's just not the same experience. And so you're not going, oh, well, I'm playing MLB The Show and I'm going to beat Babe Ruth or whatever. It there's not that kind of situation of like I'm in I am truly in the shoes of the pros. There's always going to be that remove. Yeah, during the iRacing broadcast, they've sort of been at point at pains to emphasize uh the degree to which the thing is one to one. They're talking about uh there was a point during I think the Motegi race where they showed like uh a driver going through one of the really fast corners there and all the little twitches of his hands as he holds his racing line uh, through the track, especially because there's G-forces, but then also there's kind of a grain to the track that wants to cause the car to drift. And he's fighting through all of that. And they're sort of pointing out that like every single one of those little gestures, every flick of that wheel, every sort of twist is being input by the driver. And he's feeling that through uh, the force feedback wheel he's running at home. Uh, None of that, None of that exists. None of it can exist through, uh, you know, you know, through like an an EA Sports type uh, production. You know, like True Stick is not is not stick handling. (laughs) No, uh, what was it? EA Slapshot on the Wii had the actual stick attachment, so you could sort of stick handle. Oh (laughs) shit! Did it feel remotely okay? I'm gonna start playing it again, actually, because I don't have summer hockey to look forward to. But I remember at the time, I was like, oh, well, this is cute. But of course, it's not the one-to-one as the force feedback in a wheel. Yeah, I, uh, I, I, th- this was the kind of thing I wondered, though, is that when I go back and I look at the sports landscape of the early 90s, there were just so many sports franchises around every sport. And I, I, I do kind of wonder if the homogenization under major publishing labels has maybe set up a situation where this uh, moment can't really, where there's just not something that can scratch the itch of this moment for certain types of sports fans, right? Like if you play the most recent Madden, um, it feels so arcadey. Uh, there's, there's so many gamey elements. They, they added to it. Um, it's not only that, they're not going for a sim audience. They yeah. are trying to cater to the people who are playing Ultimate Team, and more specifically, to the hardcore competitive set. They are balancing and developing their game with a video game mindset, a competitive video game mindset, and not around a simulation mindset. Yeah, they're trying to get a certain amount of verisimilitude with the way that it looks and everything, but ultimately, I don't know if that's the same thing as trying to make a competitive video game versus trying to make a realistic NFL simulator. And that's maybe why there's this real sense of uncanny valley when you're playing Madden. And it's like, well, this resembles a sport, but there's just something off. Yeah. I, uh, it, like this, if there was ever a moment to bring back like front page sports or something like that, uh, this, this might be it. Um, because I, I do kind of feel like the need for something to feel like the real article is more cute. Um, but in terms of what the sports game pipeline produces, that stuff just just doesn't doesn't exist. Um, but I don't think that even if it did, it still wouldn't solve the problem of how does sports media uh, function during this time. Um, we're running short on time. Uh, Troy, are there any last points you wanted to hit or topics of discussion around this? No, I think this is a very useful conversation. I was happy to sit back and listen to it. It's something I wanted to hear people talk about and discuss because I think this just as you know, there, we're, I think we're still, I think, as a games industry, waiting for the really good sports game podcast. Maybe there's one out there that I'm missing. 
Uh, and there is a lot of intersection strategy in sports games. So I just wanted to have this conversation. I'm glad people could come and do it. This is very interesting. Uh, yeah, so I think that will do it for this week. We'll be back uh, next week for more strategy discussion. Uh, before we go, uh, I am curious if either you can or you, Jen, have some good content. Uh, those of us who are starving for uh, starving for entertainment during this quarantine should check out. Oh, man. Uh, well, I have a podcast. It's called Acts of the Blood God, and I heard you guys like strategy games. Well, RPGs aren't that different from strategy games in many respects, and I think that there can be some crossover. I mean, one of the things that I love about strategy games um, is that you can kind of create stories, craft stories over the things that are happening on the on the screen, uh, out of these disparate systems, and much the same thing can happen in a great RPG without you even really intending to do it. It's it can be a wonderful feeling, and I think that the way that your audience grox, grapples with systems is much the same way as RPG fans. So I invite you to come over and check out my podcast, Axel Plug On, in which we talk about a lot of the same things. Also, I'm on Twitter at the underscore catbot, and you should go what, read my website, usgamer.net. That is an awesome podcast title, by the way. Thank you. Uh, as for me, uh, this summer, uh, normally I spend it playing summer hockey, but that's not going to happen. So I will be redirecting that energy into playing all of the hockey games I can get my hands on, as well as continue to play all of the racing games I usually play. I'm going through Dirt Rally 2.0 right now, and I will be producing a bunch of videos on that. And the best place to find me is actually on Twitter, at Jen Cutter, and that's Jen with two N's. Perfect. Uh, this episode was produced by Keith Carberry. Through his head as host in the Idle Thumbs Network, you can learn more about the show and discuss this episode with our community at threemovesahead.net or follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash 3MA. Finally, Three Moves Ahead is supported by listeners just like you on Patreon. You can learn more at patreon.com slash 3MA. It also has further information about our super secret Discord server where we occasionally talk about strategy games, but a lot of times we argue about history books and bad movies about history. Uh, anyway, we'll be back next week with another episode of three moves ahead until then for troy for jen and for cat this is rob zachney saying good night <laughs>